Well, amen. Where do you think they got the, the text for that song? Sounds familiar. Philippians chapter 3. We'll be getting there in a few months, perhaps. Um, I would like to take just the next 25 minutes or so with you to briefly work through a text in Philippians. And so if you've got your Bibles, please turn to Philippians chapter 1. As you're turning there, let me just say I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to, to have heard uh, Sam's presentation and what is going on in India. Uh, man, that's just amazing uh, what God is doing through the work of this man and uh, how he's blessing that ministry. Uh, one of the things that always sticks out to me when I hear his presentations are the color of those buildings. Uh, I think we could have learned something uh, with the brightness of some of those buildings in the United States. We should, we should do that as well. But then you see that the, the hundreds of people uh, that God is impacting through this ministry, and it's just so exciting to see what God is doing there. Um, and so thank you for coming. Thanks for making the effort to be here. Uh, I'm also rejoicing this evening in uh, what God is doing in the, the Membership Matters class. Uh, just to give you an idea, we had set up a room uh, for the class, and uh, we had too many people uh, for the second room that we had so we stayed in the room, we just had to add some chairs. Uh, so it was re- really exciting. Uh, my first time to do a new members class like that. And so, you know, I was probably bouncing off the walls in the room and need to apologize to any of those of you who actually attended the meeting. Uh, but we're rejoicing in that. We're looking forward to getting to know those people who are in the class. And I, I heard testimony after testimony after testimony of people who've been coming for two or three weeks and um, just want to hear more about our church. So. This is a tribute to God's good grace, and we look forward uh, to getting to know them. Um, You should have a handout, and that handout allows us to quickly make some speed in Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Uh, Last week, we started into a, a larger section in the book where Paul tells us that we need to have a gospel mindset. In particular, Paul uh, is, in drawing our attention to the gospel, in verses 12 through 26, brings uh, the idea of advancing the gospel to the forefront. In your Bible, down in Philippians 1 and verse 12, Paul talks about the furtherance or the advance of the gospel. And in that section of verses, he talks about three ways that the gospel has been advanced in his life and through his ministry. Last week, if you remember, we talked about the fact that God will often use affliction in our lives like he did in Paul's to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you remember Paul's predicament? Do you remember what's going on in, uh, in Rome? Remember, Paul had been imprisoned in his own house in Rome. And, and then some people began to preach Jesus with more fervency. And we learned in verses 12 through 18 that some of these preachers began preaching Christ with more fervency because they had it out for Paul. They didn't like the apostle, and so they're trying to tighten the shackles on his wrist and make life more difficult for him. Yet Paul exclaims right at the end of that text, the end of verse uh, 17 or 18, he says, and in that I rejoice. Paul tells us that although his affliction might increase imprisonment, because of the new zeal of these preachers, he will rejoice because Jesus is being proclaimed. Remember this? Hopefully we can remember some of it at least. (laughs) This evening I want to talk about another thing that God might use to advance the gospel. In particular, in verses 19 through 21, I want to draw your attention to how God might advance the gospel through our death. Not a very popular subject this evening. In fact, it's not, that's why I didn't announce it this morning, but I'm glad you're here. We've locked the doors in the back. There's no way out. This evening, I want to talk about how Christ or God might use our death to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's imagine that you were not feeling very well this evening. And so in the morning, you decided to go down to the doctors in Virginia Beach. You went to the doctor, you find yourself sitting in the waiting room, patiently but anxiously waiting to hear the results of of the test that the doctor had given to you. 
The doctor then opens the door of his office, glances your way, and quietly asks for you to come back into his office. In the office, the doctor informs you that you have a terrible disease that's run its course throughout your body. He then informs you that there's no hope, and he painfully gulps, and he says that you only have a few days to live. What would you do? Well, some of you might pray, right? And I go there. Seek God's face. Perhaps ask him why, perhaps ask him for deliverance or strength to make it through this trial. Perhaps you would spend time with friends and family members that you love. You would hug them and kiss them. You begin to challenge them to live a life for the Lord. Or you might witness to some lost person that you love. You've been negligent to do so before. Let me ask you another question. How would you feel? How would you feel if your doctor said that? Would you be fearful? Well, you want me to be truthful, preacher? Truthful? Yeah, I think so. Be fearful. Would you be joyful, though? Again, preacher, you want me to be truthful on this? You want to give me the answer I think you're looking for? Would you be joyful? Well, probably not, right? But yet notice Paul's attitude in Philippians 1.23. Look down in your Bible at 1.23 and the middle of that verse. Paul says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Far better. Paul's attitude toward death is different than many other people in this world, including believers. And this evening, in just our short amount of time, I want to briefly consider a proper approach to death and answer this question. How can I be prepared to face death in a way that advances the gospel of Jesus Christ? My opinion, through Paul's personal testimony, this text reveals three life qualities that are found in a believer who advances the gospel even in the face of death. And so if you're taking notes this evening, my first point is verses 18 and 19. First, to advance the gospel through our death, we must have confidence in Christ. Look down at the very middle of verse 18. Many Bibles kind of divide verse 18 in half, like my ESV does here. And Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. I think it's right to connect it to verse 19. His thought continues. Yes, and I will rejoice for or because I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Here Paul expresses the idea that he knows that his circumstances will turn out to his deliverance. You see that in your Bible? Now, what most people don't realize, unless they look at the end of verse 19 very carefully and compare it with other scriptures, is that Paul is quoting from the book of Job with that statement. This will turn out to my deliverance. That is a verbatim quotation from Job 13 and verse 16 in the Septuagint. In Job 13, we don't have the time to turn back there, but, but what we learn is that Satan has greatly afflicted Job. Remember, he went before God and he asked permission to afflict Job, and Satan begins to do this. And Job loses just about everything. And on top of it all, fellow believers begin to become very critical of Job. You remember his counselors? Remember what they had to say about Job? You know, with, with counselors like these, who needs enemies, right? So Job is afflicted by Satan. He's lost everything, and fellow believers are criticizing him. Yet Job responds by saying, this will turn out to my deliverance. I think when Paul quotes Job, Paul sees himself in a Job-like predicament. 
Paul himself is perhaps on the brink of death. He's afflicted and he's being attacked or accused by fellow believers who are preaching Jesus with more fervency just to get back at him. Yet Paul is steadied by his own faith in God. And he says, I am confident that this will turn out to my deliverance. Okay, and so as we begin to try to understand what Paul means here, what we need to do is we need to look at the word deliverance for just a moment. The word deliverance is probably the most difficult part of this verse. It's challenging, but the good news is there are really only two major options for what it might mean. The word deliverance, as I understand it, in your notes, you can take notes on this. Deliverance might speak of the earthly, physical deliverance that Paul might experience if he escapes or if he's relieved from his own house imprisonment in Rome. So it could be, number one, physical, earthly deliverance, or it might be eternal, spiritual deliverance. For the Greek word that Paul uses here is the word that is often translated salvation in the Bible. And so let's look at these two options briefly. The first option is that Paul might be saying, I know that whatever happens, I'm going to be released from prison. Actually, many people believe this. I, I, in my own Christian experience, as I've studied Philippians, I've held this view at least three or four or five times. I'm not presently holding it. You'll, you'll find out one of the things about uh, when I share, I normally share the best choice, I think, for last. That doesn't mean you can zone out for a while. But many people believe that Paul is speaking about the fact that he's confident that he'll be delivered from prison. Why do they think this? Look at verses 24 and 25. Paul says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. In these verses, Paul seems to express that he is confident that he will be released from his own house imprisonment in Rome. You see that? I know, I know in verses 20, 24 and 5 that I will remain and continue with you all. As a matter of fact, Paul uses this verb know twice in our passage. In verse 19, look at verse 19. He says, for I know... That through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out to my deliverance. I know I will be delivered. But then look in your Bible at verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Okay, so Paul says, I know twice. And in verse 25, he says he knows that he will remain. That in a sense, he will be released from prison and continue on. The very fact that Paul uses this verb, no, twice in this short text, argues very strongly for the idea that he might think in his mind that he, has, that he might have actually have confidence that he'll be delivered from his prison. But the other way of looking at this passage is that he's describing deliverance or vindication in heaven. See what we're doing? We're looking at the word deliverance. Okay, we're trying to figure out what it means. Does he mean earthly deliverance from a prison, from his own house imprisonment, or future deliverance from all the suffering of this world in heaven, future vindication in heaven? One of the problems with saying that deliverance means prison is that it reduces and neglects the full significance of what he says in verse 20. Okay? We won't read all of it, but notice how he ends verse He starts verse 19, for I know that I'll be delivered. And then you go to the end of verse 20, and he says, whether by life or by death. Okay, so there's a lot of phrases in between this, but, but what some people would say is that, you know, if you're really going to look at verse 20, Paul's leaving the option open that he, he might die, but ultimately he knows he will be delivered. I think it's also important to realize that in the book of Philippians, Paul uses the word deliverance or salvation two other times. And for sake of time, I'll just show you one of these. But both of these, I think, talk about future deliverance in heaven. You can look, look this week at Philippians 1.28, but look down in your Bible at Philippians 2 and verse 12. Philippians 2.12, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now... 
not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's very interesting to me that the ESV translators, when they see this word in the other two places in Philippians, they translate it salvation, which in English makes us often think that Paul's talking about the future day when he will be saved by God, that day when he'll be vindicated in heaven, all wrongs will be made right, he'll be rescued, he'll be delivered. And Philippians 2 and verse 12 seems to talk about that. And so because of the parallels, I think he's probably talking about the future final realization of our spiritual salvation in heaven. In other words, what Paul is saying is whatever happens in Caesar's court, or in my case, I know that in the end, I will be vindicated. I will be delivered. And he can be confident of this because of the prayers of the Philippians and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Looking back in your Bible, you see this supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, which I think is in reference to the Spirit that comes from Jesus, the Spirit that that proceeds from Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And so Paul can be confident that one day he will be delivered, that one day God will rescue him from all of this affliction even if he dies, because God has given him a spirit which came from Jesus, and that spirit is a guarantee that in the end everything will be made right. So first, I must have confidence in Christ, or the spirit that comes from Christ. But second, if I'm going to face death in a way to advance the gospel, I must have boldness with my body. So I take verse 20. Look down in your Bible at verse 20. Paul says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Here Paul not only has confidence that he will be delivered or vindicated, he also expects to demonstrate boldness with his body, when he appears before Caesar. At the beginning of verse 20, Paul describes his eager expectation and hope. And if we had more time, I would look at those words. But just know that he's describing this eager uh, longing or looking for something. And he says that it's to have full courage and to not be ashamed at all in his imprisonment. And more specifically, in your Bible, in verse 20, I want to drill down into this idea or phrase where Paul says that he longs for Christ to be honored in his body. See that? Verse 20, Christ to be honored in his body. Now, the English translation um, actually represents two words. Okay? Christ will be honored. I don't normally give you the Greek words, okay? But I got to do it for a fun reason tonight. The two Greek words are megalutheisetai Christos. You notice that first prefix, mega. I think what Paul is saying here, and you you have a section in your notes where you can fill in a blank. Paul desired for Christ to be mega, to be magnified by the courage that he had. Not in his life, per se, but he says very specifically the courage that he has in his body. And by saying it this way, I think what Paul is describing or declaring is that he desires Christ to be magnified in his body and and, and by saying it here, I think he's, he's separating his body from his spiritual soul existence that will continue on even if the body dies. And so Paul is willing to give his body up if it means that Christ will be mega, will be magnified. I remember reading this account of D.A. Carson in his little book on Philippians. 
He gives the example, a true life story of John G. Patton, a missionary to the South Sea Islands. One day, an elderly man approached Patton as Patton was planning to depart for the islands. And he said to Patton this, as a young man, he said, if you go there, you will be eaten by cannibals. Patton replied in this way. He said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. That's pretty bold. He says, I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. You see, John Patton had boldness with his body and confidence in Christ. And if we are going to face death, their physical life is being extinguished. These two are non-negotiable. I must have confidence in my Savior. I must have boldness with my body. But then I need to make one last point with you this evening. Verse 21. You know, you could, you could preach several sermons on verse 21. Verse 21 says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Remember, the first time I ever preached on this passage, I actually put it off several times because I didn't want to get to verse 21. I, you know, I was really trying to contemplate what, it, what should be the significance of this verse for me as a person. And so I you know, interrupted the Philippian series and did a bunch of other things because I, I really wanted to think about verse 21. And you notice my third point, I would summarize this way, and perhaps I'm still not content with the outline. But if we're going to face death in a way that advances the gospel, third, I must have the mindset of a martyr. And I'll draw your attention to a few things about verse 21. First, for Paul, this is something like a personal testimony. You know, Paul could have said, for to live is Christ and to die is gain. But he doesn't. He says, for to me. That's an awkward little expression, but what Paul is intending to say is something like, this is how I see it. This is my own way of looking at life. And and this implies that it might not be true of every person. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is a personal testimony from the Apostle Paul. I would also say that this is a foundational bedrock upon which his life was built. Foundational, Foundational bedrock. Matter of fact, I think this verse is so important. I'm going to cover half of it tonight, and then we're going to start next week with the other half. But I'm going to skip to the end. He says, to live is Christ, but then at the end of the verse, he says, to me, for me, to die is gain. This is Paul's belief. Death is getting more. It's better. It's gain. I want to make two final observations with you as we close about this little phrase, to die is gain. First, it's my personal opinion that if we can actually believe this little phrase, to die is gain, in verse 21, it will empower us to magnify Christ with our bodies the way Paul describes in verse 20. Okay, so am I clear? End of verse 21. To die is gain. If I can get that, then go back to verse 20. Then I can have boldness in my body to face life or death. In other words, we will not be able to live like Paul until we have this view of death. This view of death that says it's gain. Yet we live in a culture that considers death to be dreadful. We extend life in any, by, by any means possible in order to avoid death. We've created life support machines, breathing machines, resuscitating machines. We even, in some extreme cases, like Walt Disney, right, we, we freeze corpses to avoid deterioration in the hope that one day we'll be able to figure out death. 
We fear death. And believers should consider death, not in fear, but we should consider it as the Puritans of old did. You know what the Puritans of old, how they used to describe death? One of the ways they described death? They called it the greater blessing. The greater blessing. If, if death is something we only dread and fear, and we don't have any anticipation in it, then we won't actually live for Christ in the face of great adversity. But instead, we will try to preserve our fleeting breath and life at all costs. Instead, if we consider life to be for Christ and death to be gained, when our persecutors come, they will ask, what can we do to stop these people? I got it. I know what we can do. Let's hurt them and throw them in prison. That'll work. But for people who think living is Christ and dying is gain, that doesn't do a thing. So when they throw us in prison and we remember that to live is Christ, to die is gain, people in prison start coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. The gospel is advanced. Christianity grows. And so our persecutors gather together again and they ask, what now? They still have joy and they're advancing. How can we stop them? Well, I got it. I suppose that we're going to have to kill them. That'll work. Normally we're tolerable of all other people, but we simply cannot tolerate these intolerables. But little do they know. But that, that won't stop the church either. Go ahead. Kill us. That's gain. That means Jesus. Men and women, that is the mindset of a martyr. God may not call you to die a martyr's death. But he does call us to have a mindset like Paul. Where we would say living is all about Jesus. And dying is nothing but gain for us. Sometimes I wonder what believers have built their lives on when I see them encounter difficulties. Their foundational premise, if I were to summarize it, might be something like this. For to me, to live is comfort and ease, and to die is to be ignored, or it's frightful. And then affliction comes into their life and throws everything off. They lose their equilibrium. They begin to shake and sway and declare, this just can't be normal for believers to suffer like this. I want to ask them, in moments like this, what are you standing on? Be firm. To live is comfort. To die is frightening. Won't help you. When you begin to be derided by those at work who mock you and say, you're goody-two-shoe, good little Christian boy or girl. It won't help you when, when, when people begin to make fun of you because you won't join in with them when they tell their immoral jokes in the workplace. Or they invite you to the weekend parties and you won't, you won't go. Paul is standing on a firm bedrock so that when insults and criticism come, he remains firm. To die is gain enables you to make Christ mega, no matter what comes along. And so, to die is gain empowers you to live with boldness in your body. If we can just believe the end of verse 21, we can live... Way of verse 20. One last point. The second observation I'll make about this phrase, to die is gain, is this. To die is gain for Paul because it means getting more. That's the blank. Getting more of Christ. In other words, since Christ provides total meaning to Paul's life and Christ is in heaven, heaven is better because Jesus is there. 
See, men and women, the, the only way death is better for us is if we get more of what we really want. And we really want Jesus. Of course, we can't but help, help and read this text, but to walk away and ask ourselves, do we really long to see Jesus this much that we would see even something like death as being gained? as being a promotion, as being better. Men and women, when when all of our life is stripped away through affliction or disease on our deathbed, and our friends are taken away, and our family is taken away, Our physical health is taken away. We still have Jesus. And that should be more than enough for us. I'd like to close our service in this way. I'm going to ask you to stand at your seat, and I'll close in a word of prayer. We won't have a formal song to end the service. We're a bit late this evening. And so I'd like to pray and ask God to give us the strength to work or to live our lives this week according to Philippians 1. 21. After I pray, you can be dismissed. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to gather here this evening. Lord, to die is gain is a sober message. Yet it is a foundational bedrock that must describe our Christian existence. May we so love Christ that we would not just be fearful in the face of death, but that we would actually anticipate what lies beyond and consider even death to be gate. We thank you for this, Lord. Pray that you would give us grace this week to live as you would see fit. May we keep this premise in our minds, and may we, like Paul, be able to say, that it applies to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.